Hi, welcome to Two Towns Over. This show was made possible by our patrons, so if you would like to support us, we're at patreon.com slash twotownsover. Um, if you can't afford monetary donations, we are also at facebook.com slash ttopod, uh, and if you would share us around and give us five-star ratings on whatever podcast you're into, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Right after Star Wars The Force Awakens came came out, there was a Chewbacca mask that you could put it on, mm-hmm. and it would attach to your chin, so when you yes. opened your mouth, it would roar. The woman who was laughing. Almost. Right. And when that came out, this is when I was still in my uh, darker days, and uh, I was like, the world's going to hell, and this woman, you know, people are like all up about this, and people, you know, have blown this up. You know, we should be worried about, you know, the world coming to an end. And my wife was just like, you know what? Let us be happy. Just <laughs> yeah. let people be, you know, if something makes them happy, who cares if you, you know, and ever since then, that's that's where I've been. If something makes you happy, you do it. You do you, boo. Mm-hmm. I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna. Because, like, what are we gonna do other than literally revolt? Right. What are we gonna do as individuals? You have to be a group. Right. And we're not a group right now. No. We're all individuals on, like... Our, America, they strategized correctly. Indiv- individuality <clears throat> is a cult, and we are all in it. And we have all taught since we we have all been taught since we were little boys and little girls and little in betweeners who didn't really know what the fuck that meant yet. Like, you can be anything you want to be. It's all about you. You are an individual, and you are unique and beautiful in your own way. And, like, they didn't teach us about the joys of community. And so now we can't revolt because we don't know how to be be a group. We're just individuals who happen to be in the same place. Yeah. Fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Anyway. Happy holidays, everybody. Um, welcome. It's, to- a, it's the time of togetherness, yes. truly. Happy. <laughs> To all of our Christian <laughs> friends, Merry Christmas. To all of our pagans, Happy Saturnalia, Merry Saturnalia. Who gives a shit? Yeah, it's Saturnalia, y'all. For all of those who are like me, hi. <laughs> uh, Jewish, uh, Happy ha- Hanukkah. It's present time of year. Yeah, it's it's that time where we're all supposed to get together and in, in love and it peace. Certainly is the present. Yes. So. Uh, so this is going to be our last episode. Welcome to the time of the year where you have to pretend to give a fuck about your great aunt. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't do that. No, I'm not going to I actively avoid doing that. Uh, I hope I work on Christmas. Christmas is on a Sunday. You wouldn't. Oh. Yeah. See? Tough luck. Fuck, I'm going to have to do shit with my fucking family. I love my we family. Can record. Record. We can record on Sunday. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> So this is going to be our last uh, regular episode before we start the Satanic Panic series. Fuck, it is. Yeah. Satanic Panic. So um, in the spirit of whatever holiday you celebrate, um, and in honor of the debacle I've gotten myself in with my Christmas advent calendar, if you follow us on Facebook, you know. God has been posting daily photos of his horror-themed advent calendar. Yeah, which I have gone to take calling the boo tick leg bootleg uh-huh. advent calendar because... The boot leg. Boot leg, yes, thank you. I put too long of a pause. And, and a K for some reason. No, he put a T, an I in there after the... He put like tick leg. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah, that was on me. Boo 30. 40 whatever <laughs> um, you gotta recharge him. your jo crystal is what you gotta the problem recharge is that right crystal now. bud you run anyway. out of your positive energy <laughs> for those who haven't i am a non-traditional person and got a horror themed advent calendar that had some pretty cool things on the box only to find out that when i got it and opened up that what i saw isn't quite what was in the box um we've had frankie 
Kroger. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We've had uh, Mitchell Myers. Uh, there was Jock, or no, Jeff Scullington. Yeah. Uh, Jeff the Scullington. one that made the most sense was just the generic ghost. Yeah, that one. That's, uh, yeah. And today I haven't posted yet, but it looks like the skull of Pepe the Frog. It's so, Michael J. Uh, ghost Frog. There you go. Yeah. From the CW. Yes. So, um, so what we're going to do today, uh, since it is the end of the year, uh, the last episode before we go heavy into Satan. Um, I'll go heavy in Satan any day of the week. Yeah. Just make sure Except your Sunday, J.O. crystals are Sabbath. charged. <laughs> but, it's actually uh, Saturday, but whatever. So, no, it's Sunday. Jewish Sabbath is Saturday. Oh, sorry. I thought it uh, literally means that day. Yeah. So Sabbath day, Saturday. What we've done, or what I've done, is I have found a Christmas creepypasta. Nice. Uh, Sunday happened to be, become the Sabbath because of uh, capitalism, literally. Anyway. Uh, so uh, this, this um, creepypasta is written by a Michael Whitehouse. Want to give credit to him. And it is simply called the Advent Calendar. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Truly fitting. (laughs) It was the Christmas of 1965, before man had landed on the moon, before the wall had fallen, before many things good and bad. For me, it was the last time that I knew innocence, before the creeping shadow which engulfed my family, (laughs) before the madness, before death, before. 60 years pre-Trump. Oh, God. It It was the advent calendar, that damned thing which I had to have. Each door a promise of Christmas, and each window a misted reminder of the warmth and kindness of the festive season. I was nine years old. This would be 50 years pre-Trump, but whatever. <laughs> I was nine years old, and while the parents in my neighborhood would have had no fears for their children in the past, allowing them to play freely in the icy December streets, those days were lost like breath on a mirror. If snow had fallen, then there would have been no joy. Michael Whitehouse, take your head out of your ass. Please and thank you. What? I, this is just so flowery <laughs> That's, on purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, not like Tolkien. Fla- like, this is like... It's written a bit pretentiously. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, if snow had fallen, there would have been no joy. No snowball fights. This in the is what I'm talking evenings. about. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Michael White. That's so stupid. Come on. No sleds sliding carefree down the fields nearby. Children could not be children. Though the like, young- kids in Florida can't be kids because there's not snow, you guys. <laughs> Though the young men, or the young may have felt apprehension in the dark, it was the parents who were the most fearful, terrified of the ultimate loss, a pain they could never extinguish. Also, it's not Toys R Us, so if it's not Toys R Us, you can't be a kid. It's He also just said a pain that could not be extinguished. Let's just not even worry about that. Let's just ignore that and move on. <laughs> For the previous three Christmases... Without fail, the worst had happened. A child had went missing. While I was very young, I remember it all as though it was yesterday. The suburbs were where, where we lived became the most somber of places. Such a tragedy can do that, slowly draining away any hope of happiness, hope or happiness from a community like blood from an open wound. No Christmas tree nor carol sang could stem the flow. The first to, the first to disappear was Tommy Graham. Let's just all marinate in this bullshit poem. <laughs> <laughs> the first to disappear was Tommy Graham. It's, I got to say, though, it's it's incredibly pretentious. It is, however, not bad. It's grammatically correct. Yes. It's just over the top. Yeah. it's He, he thinks he learned more from that uh, one semester of writing class he than he actually did. He learned more from Skillshare than he actually did. Ooh. So the first to disappear was Tommy Graham. He was 11 years old, and although I had seen him around, I didn't really know him personally. I remember my mother crying about it. Just the thought of something terrible happening to a child distressed her greatly. And the pain that the parents must have been going through was often on her lips. That Christmas, my dad held on to me tighter than he had done ever done before, and I could tell that they were affected terribly by the disappearances, just as the rest of the community had been. Mama and Papa held tightly to me. So this was 
were, were what year again? Remind me. 65. 65. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you had told me that this was written by an Englishman in 1902, yeah. I would this imagery it. would be correct. <laughs> And all, all this flowery language. But this is would a suburban nineteen sixty five six year old or whatever. Yeah, uh, this is Atomic Family era. This is well, gee, honey buns. Let's go get the yeah. this thing at the sock hop or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's what makes this so stand out is that it, nobody talks like that. No, right. n- nobody, no. nobody. When when you write from a perspective like that, you have to write like he, you would think. Even back then, when they people were writing like that, it was the formal writing style. Right. You didn't talk like that. Right. You wrote like that. And you don't write like that in the 60s. No. Well, I think later on, at one point, he uses the word mum, M-U-M, instead of mom. So this might actually be an English person. Yeah. But you didn't read it to you me didn't in an say English accent? I'm not reading the whole damn thing in an English accent. Well, then it's not. suburb is the same pretty much anywhere. Yeah. It's not my head canon that it's that it's English. I could fuck you up and start reading it in an English accent now. Now it's bah humbug times. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. I'll buy a Christmas goose. You don't have to do that. All right. So the following year, another Christmas came and another child was taken. Her name was Cheryl, and she was only four years old. Krampus is a foot <laughs> tiny and fragile. Tears were shed, misplaced rage vetted or vented toward the police who were unable to find her. And by New Year, it was the commonly held view that, like Tommy the year before, little Cheryl would never be found. I, like many of my friends, had been scared by the vanishing children. Oh, tell me they're being kidnapped by Santa Claus. (laughs) No. Well. It was a Polar Express situation, you see. (laughs) It was the first time that I became aware that adults could do harm, even to the most vulnerable of us. The children were not always safe, and that the bigger and stronger than us could have unspeakable things on their minds. If we get to the end, and this is all just a long-winded Jeff the Killer creepypasta, I will shit my pants on purpose. <laughs> you know what? I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> is that for your SP crystal? I'll ju- yeah. The shit pants crystal? Yes. It doesn't... That That's charges not a, a real crystal. crystal. That charges a crystal with negative energy. <laughs> Um, it's got to be an onyx crystal. <laughs> it has to be a whatever the fuck a brown crystal uh, no, is. No, there's brown diamonds. Yeah, there chocolate it is. Chocolate diamonds. Yeah, it's a chocolate diamond around your neck. So, and yes. in your pants. Yes. So I had heard the fairy tales <laughs> and frightening stories of the Pied Piper Too and the Too much calcium. <laughs> what was going on in our suburb was far more gut-wrenching, far more real than any tall tale. Despite this impact, it was not until the third child disappeared that I was truly heartbroken. His name was Finn, and he was one of my friends, a close one at that. We lived on the same street, playing football in a field by his house and walking to and from school together each day. The fact that people remember shit specifically about childhood is either a lie or a symptom of my severe ADHD. I have very vivid memories of my childhood. Like, consistently? Yeah. What? I can recall like very strong memories of my childhood. I get chunks at best. Yeah, I was gonna say I get some chunks that are strong. Um, I mean, I don't have like the memory where I could sit down and write a full-on story about. Could them, you put them in order? Um, no, I could not. Probably not. No. Okay. See, this is what I'm saying. Yeah. Mine are so segmented. Like, yeah. I know what my earliest memory is. I don't. And that's the best I can do. I mean, I can kind of, like, in, in, like, chunks, because I did move from one place to another when I was 11. So my memories from a certain location, I know, were at least the first part of my life, and then yeah. they don't get jumbled up that yeah, way. Yeah, but the fact that you have to, like, deduce it that way yeah, is... I see what you're saying. Yeah. I don't know if that's ADHD or if that's commonly how people remember certain I don't either. time periods. Couldn't I tell know. you I have ADHD. Well, I don't fucking know. Like... So like this seems like a scam to me because people don't I don't I don't can you do that? Can you remember you know what I mean? I mean I'm some sure people if can. If it's something like a very very vivid memory or I something like, like a, a strong I get like snippets of time, like not even full conversations, just like a vibe and a picture. Yeah. I don't know. So when vague. It's a, when it's a traumatic experience, I mean I can remember 
pretty strongly. Well, yeah, that's even things that are said. Yeah. But playing football in a field by his house and walking to him. Okay. My dad used to take us to the cinema most Sundays, buying us each a hot dog. And when we got home, a glizzy. Hmm. Yeah, never mind. That was just long for... before they were known as glizzies. <laughs> we don't call them that here. <laughs> uh, and when we got home, mum would serve us a beautiful Sunday roast. Finn was like part of the family, and I still think about him to this day. Where would we have? Been, where would he have been now? Would he have been? What would he have done with his life? How diminished have we been, not knowing that boy or that adult he could have? He would have become. No laughs, no tears together, just an empty seat in the cinema, a vacant desk in the classroom. Are you attempting to write a play? (laughs) (laughs) Or or like a song? I remember his blonde hair and blue eyes more than anything else for some reason. He was Aryan and beautiful. (laughs) Oh my God. That and his happy-go-lucky nature. I missed him then, and even now, I wish it were not true. Like the others, Finn had been snatched from his bed as he slept on that most peaceful of nights, Christmas Eve. Uh, I was a kid, and I do remember that Christmas night, Christmas, well, Christmas, Christmas Eve. Eve, the night before Christmas, <sighs> went all through the house. Yes, every creature was stirring, including the mouse, because there's no way you can sleep with that amount of energy and and like excitement right. as a kid. When I was a kid, yeah, as an adult, I'm going to bed. Oh, for sure, for <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. But like as a kid, I would literally stay up until like the next day. Yeah, I like, used to do that. So his parents had tucked him in, hanging his stockings over the fireplace, kissing his forehead, whispering a Merry Christmas as he fell asleep. They woke Merry ex- Christmas, my sweet angel. <laughs> they woke expecting to hear the excited scampering footsteps of their son rushing down the stairs to see what Santa had brought. What wrapped secret boxes had he left by the tree? And instead were What's con- in the box? What's in the box? And instead were confronted with an empty prep bed. I did see a thing that said that seven is actually a Christmas movie. Because they talk about the Bible, and at the end, Brad Pitt gets a present. That's so loose. I'm going to say that's Easter. <laughs> you know, I'll argue with you all day about Die Hard. I, found, I finally found... I'm sorry. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why are you sorry at this point? They know they... And I love the fact that I apologize to the computer. Yeah, because that's the I, audience I thought, right I thought there. you were apologizing to the whiteboard that no. we have our patrons' names on. <laughs> I finally found a video that solidly ends the argument... About Die Hard. I think the director said that it wasn't. Who gives a shit? If art, Die Hard art is not isn't a, done until you until you interpret it. If yeah. Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, uh-huh. then Home Alone is not a Christmas movie. Yeah, because literally, perfect. Die Hard is Home Alone for adults. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if here's you, the thing. Here's the thing. Let me tell you this. Let me say this. Let me just say this real quick right now. Right about Christmas movies. Every Christmas. Every movie is a Christmas movie. Every movie is a Christmas movie. If you watch it on fucking Christmas and there's snow in it. <laughs> if, if if hey, uh, lots of Game of Thrones Christmas movie. <laughs> Why? Because you're you're if you're snuggled up and it's cold outside or you're pretending that it is because you live in the south of America, then you know, it's crumble. Crumble? It's crumble, crumble, crumble. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> So if you want to continue, Kwanzler. if you want to continue calling Home Alone a Christmas movie, then you then must also accept that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Exactly. Indeed. I don't give a shit what Bruce Willis says. I don't give a shit what you, the director of Die Hard says. And you shouldn't <laughs> on either one of those counts. Well, I do um, care a little bit about what Bruce Willis says. Not about that, but like just because, like, fuck yeah, Bruce Willis. <laughs> uh, Bruce Willis is kind of jacket. Is he? Mm-hmm. Now, Bummer. Yeah. yeah. I guess I probably should have figured that. I'm not actually endorsing Bruce Willis as a person. Basically, when he like, when his hair disappeared, uh-huh. so did his personality. Ah, shame. Yeah. So basically, anything after Die Hard three, he became an asshole. Yeah. Uh, he pulled a Harrison Ford. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Although he did sell, he got the, grumpy. He yeah. did sell the rights to for people to use him in deepfakes. He sold his persona. So anybody can use him in movies as a deep fake if they want. Really? Yeah, it's weird. That is super weird, and maybe he's like a fundament- dark Nicholas Cage. Yeah. yeah, that that's like well, kind of concerning. Um, James Earl Jones. Imagine a dark Nicholas Cage. <laughs> Inside <laughs> you, there are two Nicholas Cage. <laughs> Which one do you feed? I feed the crazy one. 
Okay, which one do you feed, though? (laughs) (laughs) Um, James Earl Jones also sold his the rights to his voice uh, for them to use digital to make uh, Darth Vader to continue, even though he's retired. (gasps) Oh, wow! So his voice will still be used as Darth Vader. Now that is that's a very specific thing. That is becoming immortal. So uh, he already did that. I mean, I know, but, but like he's in a Mufasa very real and sense, Darth Vader. He, yes, yes, but now <laughs> he, he will never not be Darth Vader now. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's truly incredible. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I feel lightheaded. Sorry. It's fine. You Let's take a continue. Break? Okay. No. It's back to the story. So they woke up to see what Santa had brought. Uh, and instead were confronted with an empty bed, the loss of their only child, and an open window sucking in the biting frost of Christmas Day. Mm. This sounds like a FNAF one. It's not. It still sounds like a Jeff the Killer to me. The parents of all three children, there is no Jeff the Killer. Jeff the Killer does not appear in this. Does anyone named Michael Afton? No. Okay. It definitely takes place in the same universe as Jeff the Killer. (laughs) So the parents of all three children would not let go, could not, nor would they assume the worst. Search parties were organized. Flyers were continually posted through letterboxes pasted onto bulletin boards and shop windows across the city. And the hopes was always that somewhere, somehow, the three children would be found unharmed and ready to come home. I got to say, at this point in the story, you live in a neighborhood where, because suburbs in the 60s were tight-knit. Everybody went to everybody's cookouts. Mm-hmm. They still kind of function like that now. Some of them. Not my neighborhood. Some of them, yeah. Not you most. don't necessarily. You live in kind of, sort of a suburb. You live in like a housing division. Yeah, the suburb is a little bit different than what you got. Just a tiny bit. Three years in a row, I'm a parent in a suburb where a kid goes missing every single year. Statistically, there is a non-zero chance it's going to be my kid next year. I am sitting in the bedroom in a rocking chair with a shotgun. I'll do you one better. <laughs> All night. Two years in a row, kid goes missing, same night. Before the next year, we do not live in that neighborhood anymore. Right, yeah, no shit. Like, I, like it's just, I'm gone. Um, that's the type of shit that'll turn you into a gated community, motherfucker. You know, it's, I guess that's a, that's a difference between you and me. <laughs> <laughs> so that year, on the 28th of November, 1965, all hope was extinguished. In an old sewage pipe across town, the crumpled, fragile bodies of Tommy, Cheryl, and dear Finn were found stuffed unceremoniously into a corroded pipe in an old sewer, rotting in the waters below. The pain was palpable. The family's inconsolable. And for all of us who knew any of the victims, it was to be a bleak and shadow-ridden Christmas. Three days after the month turned, eyes moved towards Christmas and the shaking fear that something cruel and callous lived amongst us. Three children in three years, now into the fourth, what would happen this Christmas Eve? Which family would be broken? Which child, torn from its comfy warm bed, dreaming of Santa, only to be killed and discarded like a piece of fetid waste? The word fetid, that makes it bad. Like, yeah. Like, waste would have been perfectly fine. It's, you opened a fucking thesaurus. I yeah. get it. Yeah. You Googled some synonyms. Yes. So the, my, the sources, right? Right? That's source. the source. Yeah. The source. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. That's, That's the right the, word. The yeah. wordy dinosaur. That's the, the synonym yeah, yeah, yeah. one. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. The So my That's parents, also. my parents were nervous, and who could blame them? The source. That's. I think I had it mixed with an almanac briefly in yeah. my head. Mm-hmm. I sensed the change in atmosphere around the streets where I usually played. Families pulling their children in earlier and earlier before the dark came. At night, on more than one occasion, I heard hammering echoing from up from an unseen source. No doubt, windows being nailed shut to prevent any more children being snatched as they slept. On the 1st of December, my dad hung our Christmas lights outside along the gutter of our roof. Little beads of glowing color piercing through each cold night. We tried to continue on as normal and think of happier times. As always, he asked me to help. You're my wingman, kiddo, he'd say from behind his bright red scarf. Now that's how people talk in the 60s. Yeah, (laughs) right. Clambering up a set of wooden ladders to the roof above. He had flown for the Air Force before I was born and still used the lexicon of those days. 
in the military, but I didn't mind. It made me feel special. Here's looking at you, private. <laughs> in previous years, I had been too small, too young for any of the real to be of any real use in decorating the outside of our home, but my dad always included me. I think he just liked to do things with me to have some father-son time. Standing at the bottom of the ladders, looking up at him whistling Christmas songs out loud made me feel part of the accomplishment, part of the yearly celebrations. I'm imagining the scene from Jim Carrey's The Grinch. (laughs) What, with the gun? No, with, yeah, yeah, when he's like shooting the, you know, Uh and then the other guy falls off his roof and shit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That December was different, however. It was the first time I was big enough to go up the ladder with him. Uh, to look out at the old street below and see the occasional blink from a weathered set of lights clinging to a neighbor's fence or home. My mom was terrified. She had visions of us both falling to our death, but my dad always seemed sure of himself. I know, it's supposed to be sugar plums? (laughs) Uh, Not arrogant, not confident, or just confident, and cheerfully reminding us all that things would be okay. Looking back, I think that's what I loved about him the most when I was a kid. The fact that he had it all in hand and did everything to reassure his family and friends. I never felt in danger of those ladders. Always loved, always safe, always. Mm, I'm picturing the um, the scene from the Santa Claus where Santa falls off the roof and dies <laughs> and then Tim one. Allen becomes the Santa Claus. Yep, yep, yeah. yep, yep, yep. So before we came down, I remember looking at the rooftops poking out in regimented lines from the streets around. I noticed that the world seemed different from up here, and that to me, there appeared to be fewer Christmas lights than ever before. That night, I knew it was coming. My mom tucked me into my bed as my dad finished hanging some paper ring decorations from my bedroom ceiling. I always felt that those decorations protected me somehow. I'd stir in the night, scared of the dark, and yet as Christmas time, and yet at Christmas time, I believed that somehow those pieces of colored paper, that blinking Christmas tree in the other room, that those symbols, those pieces of good would keep me keep whatever monstrosities hid in the dark at bay. My mom kissed me on the forehead and left the room, and there was my dad standing in the corner with his hands behind his back, smiling. Go to sleep, he said. No, I'm kidding. Well, wingman, you know what time it is, he said as we both began to chuckle. Let me see, Dad, please, I yelled, excited. From behind his back, he produced an advent calendar. With the heads and fingers of the other children. (laughs) I leapt for joy across the room and hugged him before snatching it from his hands and diving back under the covers. Sitting down on the bed, my dad ruffled my hair with his fingers, watching me curiously. He knew I loved getting an advent calendar each Christmas. Then I felt the cold press of steel. (laughs) (laughs) And I had worried that I wouldn't get one that year as he told me that most of the shops were sold out of them. But dad being dad, he'd spent hours driving around until he found one and made sure that the night of December the 1st, the first night of Advent, there it was. The calendar was beautiful, handmade with carefully crafted drawings on its front and back. The lines and sketches, sketched colors lovingly showed a Christmas street full of lights, with houses covered in snow and windows beaming with a warm yellow glow, waiting for the night Santa would arrive. What I loved about each year's Advent calendar, the good ones at least, was that they told a story. They showed something wonderful happening. Each door or window would be opened night upon night, revealing a picture. Building until the magical climax of Christmas where we J.O.'d all over our crystals. Mm -hmm. Again, not on You have to be wearing the the crystals. crystals. You just wear the crystal while jerking off with a bro. Specifically. That's where they get the energy. You don't actually want come on them. Should we say ejaculate? No, it doesn't help. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing helps. (laughs) You keep bringing it back. I dropped the J.O. Because my brain said the climax of Christmas. What am I not supposed to think about? I honestly was going to make it if he didn't. Thank you. I love my sex tape, Climax of Christmas. (laughs) The climax. The magical climax of Christmas. (laughs) I love the anticipation of the holidays. And the advent calendar symbolized the hopes that Christmas held. Loved charging those crystals with my bros. I swear to God, we've got to find a way to sneak into Don's house and replace the last thing in his advent calendar with just a white crystal. Yeah. <laughs> I love the anticipation of the holidays. Brandon's help. And the advent yes. calendar symbolized, I'll pay him 20 bucks. symbolized 
the hopes that Christmas held, not just presents, although as a child, that was a big part of it, but spending time with my family, seeing my grandparents who usually lived in another part of the country and getting to eat all the chocolates and turkey I could cram into my mouth, getting to be away from the boredom of school, getting to play the new to- with new toys, getting to have fun with my friends. It was the thought of friends which brought me down for a moment. There I was holding an advent calendar, each cardboard door numbered from 1 to 24, from the 1st of December until Christmas Eve, the same night that one year previous, my dear friend Finn had been taken, murdered, and left to rot down a sewer. I began to cry, and almost instinctively my dad seemed to know what was upsetting me. He asked about Finn, and when he mentioned his name, I sobbed even deeper than I had since his death. Thinking about Finn, sport? (laughs) My poor friend, who would never again go on those carefree days out with me and dad, or walk alongside me to school laughing and playing. It was then that my father explained to me something about death, words which have always stayed with me. You know something, kiddo? I killed him. As long as I'm you waiting keep, for it. As long as you keep the memory of the people you've lost in your mind and in your heart, they'll always be alive. It's Coco rules. They'll always be with you. So Finn is right here, he said, pointing to my chest gently. With those words, I felt a soothing comfort wash over me and... You have subsumed him. And all cried out. My dad tucked me into bed, kissed me on the head, and said goodnight, knowing to leave my bedroom door open slightly to let some light from the hall keep my room from the dark. He had left the advent calendar sitting nearby, its closed windows facing me from my nightstand. And yet I was exhausted, and so my thoughts drifted from what lay behind those cardboard doors to sleep, and hopefully to a more rested state of mind, but that did not occur. I woke in the night from a horrendous... Happen. Happen is fine. (laughs) Right. I woke in the night from a horrendous dream about my friend Finn, little four-year-old Cheryl and 11-year-old Tommy Graham, crushed down a sewer pipe. Help us. (laughs) Crushed down a sewer pipe. The water running over their bodies into mouths which once spoke and laughed and smiled. Why have you not come for us? <laughs> Only then to be rendered silent by an unseen, brutal hand. In the darkness, Finn's voice cried out, garbled and drowned. A word came forth and clung to me like no other. Run. I leapt from my bed, soaked in sweat, ready to cry out for my mum and dad. But then something strange caught my attention, shaking me to the core. Did he not say... Mom with an O just earlier? No. It's all mom, but I probably pronounced it mom. Oh, okay. Because I'm an American. Okay. So I looked to the advent calendar, to the drawings of cozy houses covered in snow, their windows beaming out into the cold December night. A ghost did it. Sitting there waiting almost as I had left it. The ghost of Christmas present. Yet something was amiss. Something which I had no memory of. The first advent door had been opened. The cardboard left ajar like the one in my room to my room. Stepping forward, the sweat dripped from my hand as I pulled the door back to reveal what secrets the calendar had in store for me. And what little light there was, I squinted, my mind slowly piecing together the picture behind door number one. As my eyes adjusted, I recoiled in horror at the sight and screamed for my family. Within seconds, the light was on and my dad appeared, picking me up, consoling me as he put me back to bed. I pointed feverishly over to the calendar, telling him that something awful hid behind the door. Of course, he looked, then smiled, reassuring me. It's just a happy Christmas scene, kiddo, he said, handing it to me. Looking closely, I could see that the picture had changed slightly. It depicted an old stone bridge covered in snow. Children played on top of it happily. Yes, it appeared to be quite harmless, quite serene. My father left, and soon I was drifting back to sleep, yet my mind hazed over with two thoughts, of Finn screaming run in my dream, and of what I could have have sworn I'd seen in that first little calendar door. The bridge was there, but underneath in the dark, eyes looked out to the children playing gleefully above, eyes which seemed racked with rage and hate. The next day at school went quickly, but on my way home, I dragged my feet over the bitter frozen concrete paths and pavements. Uphill. Thinking of Finn. Both ways. And how he had always walked with me. As my house came into view, I smiled for a moment at the lights and Dad and I had hung on the roof. They warmed my spirits. But when I entered my room, my soul was chilled stagnant once again. Mm. 
The next advent My calendar. My soul was chilled stagnant. Yeah. Just ridiculous. Unnecessary. Also Silly. not how stagnation works. Anyway. The next advent calendar door had been opened. This time I knew. I hadn't been there to do such a thing in my sleep, so as I had assumed, must have happened the night before. Was the demon returned? No, someone had opened it. I touched the yellow number two of the cardboard door, a number which should have promised a treat or a happy picture reminding me that Christmas was near. I hesitated and then looked in behind it. Another street scene played out before me. This time, a small boy pulled a red sled behind him as other children threw snowballs at each other, grinning wide and happy. At first, I sighed with relief that the picture had no hidden intruder, no eyes staring out of the darkness and contempt. But just as I sat the calendar back down into my nightstand, I saw it, the faint outline of a person looking out towards me, almost invisible, yet hiding within the Christmas scene in plain view, sitting there on a boy's red sled. I closed my eyes and rubbed them, fearful that they might reaffirm the figure's presence once more when opened. But just as the darkened eyes had disappeared up from under the bridge on the 1st of December, the faint outline of the unseen pretender had moved on from the picture. I knew that no one would believe me, and even worse, I barely believed it myself. My nine-year-old mind could not comprehend such strange and ominous occurrences. Yet I, would not, I was not so removed from the idea of horrid things scuttling around in the dark, creatures which even parents could not protect you from. The figure had moved on. I was certain of it, and I knew that it must have traveled and hid behind the door for the 3rd of December. A day I'll always remember. <laughs> the Do next you morning, remember the third night of December? <laughs> the next morning, I told myself that I would not open any of the closed doors from the advent calendar. I promised myself. Yet someone, something, was doing it for me. That night, I awoke in the darkness once more. The same dream playing out. Poor Finn, muffled and drowned by the putrid sewage water, crying out in the darkness. Crying out, and yet warning, pleading. Run, he said. Run. Again, I leapt from my bed, and once more the calendar door for that day had been opened by an unseen force. See, vivid words like this only have weight to them when they are few and far between. The word putrid is only as strong as it is because you rarely hear someone find something that smells so bad that they can only describe it as putrid. Right. But he's just peppering all these <laughs> synonyms for much easier to use words. I really hope this guy doesn't get told, hey, there's a podcast, Did Your Creepypasta. You should go listen to it. I'm, I'm hoping he's a better writer by now. <laughs> well, if he is, he's going to agree with most of what we say. Right, exactly. Because this exactly. is clearly a talented teenager and or young adult. Right, exactly. No, there's there's for sure legitimate talent here, especially with the storytelling. Like, oh, yeah. the storytelling is good. I'm, it's, the, it's the language. Yeah, I'm definitely vivid. Like, I can see the story playing out, you know? Yeah. There it's the just annoying when he uses words like fetid. Like yeah. <laughs> there in the dark, I looked, compelled by fear, by the fear of not looking. Especially since he's describing himself as a child. Yeah. Right. The it's it's indicative of somebody who has just begun writing, I feel like, or like does it very classes, rarely. But like, right. Yeah. It's there's there's legitimate talent there. And oh yeah. it's just the language is horrible. Too it's too too flowery for yeah. yeah. The terror of not knowing what was to come. For in that third picture it became clear to me something was on its way. Something unspeakable was plotting and slowly but surely drawing closer. Behind that door lay another Christmas scene. Family skating on a beautiful iced lake, and under that transparent barrier between the cold air and the icy water, there was a shape. Darkened, indefinite, but malevolent. A blurred form under the ice, eyes staring up in disgust at the families who happily skated above. And see, that's a section where you do use imagery and big words like that mm -hmm. when you're describing something that's horrific. Right. I screamed again, and yet the results were all too familiar. My mom and, mom and dad arrived tired, yet never annoyed at their child for waking them up in the night. Mum put me into bed, and as she did so, I explained frantically to them both that something was appearing in the advent calendar, that each door held proof of something which meant to, to do me harm. Yet there was no evidence of it. 
only three open doors showing happiness and fun at Christmas. Dad said I was having bad dreams and that he and Mum would sit with me for a while until I fell asleep. I heard them whispering about work in the morning, but they were more concerned about me than losing a few hours of rest. The next day, again, I tried to ignore the advent calendar, but desperately, tried desperately to avoid the doors. And again, I failed. In the night, I awoke to the same hideous dream, or from the same hideous dream, and yet this time, the calendar was not open. The door with a yellow number four remained closed. I hoped that whatever strange thing was there, it was in those pictures, had left, that I could forget the hateful, haunting eyes, and that I could return to simply enjoying the anticipation of Christmas. But just as I nodded back to sleep, happier than I had been since the first found, they first found Finn's body, I heard something. The sound of a thumb or finger pulling at cardboard. I opened my eyes and stared in utter disbelief as the fourth door was pulled open by an invisible hand in the dark. It is strange that I did not scream. Return of the Mac. Mac in this case being the demon. <laughs> but since then, I have heard people say that when you are as scared as you can possibly be, that you cannot move, nor can you cry out for help. I opened my mouth and no noise came, a paralysis of fear which was overpowering. If you'd like to know more about sleep paralysis, visit our Shadow People episode. Indeed. Also, fight, flight, freeze. Those are the ones. Yeah. There I lay in the night, staring wide-eyed at the fourth door, wondering what disturbing depiction it would reveal, and even more so, terrified that whatever had opened it still lurked nearby. I wish I could say that it stopped, that the horrid revelations ceased, but I cannot. Some nights the dream of Finn yelling at me to run came, but other nights it did not. The only constant was that at some point a calendar door would be open, whether in the morning or at night. Each door would show a happy scene, and each time something hideous, which only I could see, would be momentarily present. One door showed a group of carolers cheerfully singing at night, warmed by the glow of an open window, and at the rear... There stood an outline, something watching, something waiting, something moving on relentlessly to Christmas Eve. Slenderman. <laughs> Krampus. The last door. Another the picture. Windigo. <laughs> another picture showed a small girl, no older than poor Cheryl, who had been killed, placing presents into a stocking. And yet for a moment, there was the faintest impression of a hand reaching out from the stocking toward the girl. By the 20th, the horrific pictures had intensified, as too had the dreams. Thin now screamed my name, his voice echoing through a drain, pleading with me to get away. And as those nightly terrors revealed themselves, the pictures had taken on more weight, more immediacy. Also, fire seems like it would solve this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For I was it's certain. A wooden advent calendar board. No, cardboard. 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 Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, fire solved this in a matter of seconds. <laughs> uh, for I was certain that, what was, that they now showed the street where I lived. My dad found me crying that night, and when, when he asked what was wrong, I told him. I believed that there was something evil coming, something horrendous which had snatched the, a child from each of the previous three Christmases. A child each of the previous three Christmases. The same evil which had taken my friend, the hidden, that hidden horror which on Christmas Eve would come for me. Dad reassured me that this was not the case, that I was imagining things. When he looked at that picture on the calendar, he just saw nondescript streets, anonymous faces, nothing which suggested the place where we lived. But I saw differently. The drawings clearly showed my house, inch by inch, that something was drawing nearer each day. Uh, fleeting glimpses of a faint figure waiting to gorge itself once more. My dad offered to throw the advent calendar away as if, if it was upsetting me so much, but I pleaded with him not to. I needed to know. I had to see what was coming, what was on its way to snatch me from my family as it had done the other children. The 21st, 22nd, and 23rd of December were torturous. While I should have been excited for Christmas Day, I was not. I was terrified, for I knew that I would never live to see it. The calendar door on the 21st, opened by something unseen while I slept, showed a house come into view, with one with glowing lights hung around the roof gutter and the faint outline of something terrible approaching nearby. I was certain that the house was mine and that the light which beamed outward on the, onto the snowy landscape was from my family. Though as I peered out into the night from my window, there was no snow in reality, just a biting wind and a frost which covered everything like a shroud. I could not see a figure out there, but I felt it, 
somewhere close, just waiting for Christmas Eve. On the 22nd, the figure drew closer to our home as the snow fell around it in the advent calendar, and on the 23rd, the prowler had reached the gate to our garden. That night, I had such a terrible vision. In my dream, I found myself lying in the dark. I could not see, and all that surrounded me was the empty coldness of winter. Pain coursed through my body, and the sound of running water pushed over it, forcing me deeper into an abandoned drain. Putting out my hand instinctively, my fingers touched the frozen mouth of another child. Slowly, it moved against my hand, and its stagnant lips whispered as if weakened, Run, get away. I did not, awake, oh, did not wake screaming, nor did I leap from my bed as I had the other nights like an animal fleeing from a predator. There I lay in the silence of the night, and in that stillness I cried. The paper chains and decorations my family had hung from my room's ceiling proved no protection from the pain, um, no protection from the pain or from the thoughts of the three children. Um, the thoughts of the three children, how they had been taken, and how I would be next. And then the day had come, Christmas Eve. I was frightened, but a distance took me. What? One which Say that again? A distance took I me? I was frightened, but a distance took me. One which slowed my words and left me dispassionate about the festive season. Is about, he trying to describe dissociation? I guess, yeah. Is this... That's like a bad translation. Might be. Almost. Um... Uh, I wish I had not been that way and had savored every moment I had left, but I was drained, numbed by the lurking fear which had haunted me for weeks, tired of it all, a strain which no nine-year-old should have to bear. My dad knew that I wasn't my usual self, as I normally relish Christmas Eve like most children. Excited, I and completely enthused for what would, for what would come. But there I was outside in the cold, helping him fix part of the lights which had come unhooked in the wind. I watched my dad on the ladders once more, the wind rattling everything around, the slates on the roof, the trees, the gutter. I thought about how Finn's family or little Cheryl's or even Tommy Graham's would have been preparing for Christmas Day like we were, happily unaware of the loss they were about to undergo. At least I knew. I had foreseen. I had foresight. Each hideous picture hinting that the faint figure coming closer and closer to my home to open my window as I slept waiting for Christmas morning, to snatch me from my bed, to slaughter me, discarding my body down a sewer pipe, used and forgotten. As the wind howled and the lights chinked and jingled together, I looked back at the gate to our garden, to where I had last seen my future attacker. I could see nothing, just an empty street on the quietest night of the year, but in that absence I could feel eyes bearing down on me. My dad climbed down the ladder, whistling merrily to himself, and as I looked up at him, I simply asked matter-of-factly if he would nail my window shut. He didn't ask why. He knew many parents had done the same. And so we went inside as the evening roll, rolled in, carried by the promise. If it's a ghost or a demon, I don't think that's going to help. Well, but the windows were open yeah. for all the kids. That's so. fair. Uh, also, this would be national news. Oh, for sure. Um, and they, they would have like a full police squad patrolling this neighborhood <laughs> on... Like, all of December. So Dad got his toolbox out and drove a large series of nails into the frame of the window. Once I was confident that there was no way to open it, I thanked him and asked if he would do one more thing for me. Only one. To sit next to my bed all night and look over me until morning. Perhaps with a shotgun. <laughs> In a rocking chair. Yeah. Unlike the other nights, he did not tell me that there was no monstrosity out there, nor did he say that the world was a safe place, for that would have been a lie. He placed his hand gently on my shoulder and said, if you need me, I'll sit right here until it's time to open the presents. And sit there he did. My mother came in to kiss me on the head before returning back to the kitchen where she was preparing things for the dinner next day. I so wanted to see it. Presents meant nothing to me by that night. All I cared about was being there at the family table, laughing with Gramps and Gran, and knowing that the nightmare of December 1965 was over. I fell asleep as my dad sat by the bed reading his book. It must have been two or three in the morning when I woke. I was unsure of the precise time, but what I knew was that my dad was standing at my window, looking down, out to the street below. I whispered to him and asked what was wrong, but his reply was hesitant. Nothing, kiddo. Go back to sleep. Then I heard it, certain and labored, the sound of footsteps slowly walking up our garden path outside, 
shambling forward towards our home. The sound frightened me, and my thoughts immediately turned to the advent calendar, to the faint outlined figure which had haunted me. From what little light there was, I could see that the door for Christmas Eve was sealed shut, yet to be open. The footsteps continued, one after the other, slowly, steadily. My dad stared intently outside as I asked if he could see anyone there, but he just shook his head in disbelief. The footsteps ceased and silence covered everything like the frost outside. Suddenly it was broken by three loud, booming knocks. It was at our door. I cried out in terror and started sobbing. It's come to take me, Dad, like Finn and the others, I howled in utter despair as the tears slid down my cheek. Nonsense. It must just be a neighbor or something, my dad said unconvincingly. No, Dad, it's here to take me away. I screamed as I handed the calendar to him. Open the last door. Open it and you'll see. Christmas Eve. Each Christmas Eve it takes a child and if you open that, you'll see it. I promise you'll see it. Three more loud knocks echoed out. And for the first time in my life, I saw fear flicker across my dad's face. And I could hear my mom stirring from her room, shouting through, shouting through, asking what was going on. Three knocks once more, this time more pronounced. Please, dad, look at the door, open it, and you'll believe me. It's here for me. My father's hand trembled as he held the calendar tightly. Slowly, he opened the last door to see what was shown. God, no, he yelled out. And with that, we heard the most hideous of sounds, one which was laced with dread, a click of a lock, the turning of a handle, and the front door opening to the cold. Then footsteps climbing stairs, looking, seeking, and then slowly coming down the hall toward my room. Dad, please help me, I pleaded as the nightmarish thing in our house drew closer. He looked at me, trying his best to hide his fear, but I could see it etched into his face, into his soul. Listen to me, son. As soon as I go out there, I need you to grab all your things, anything heavy, and barricade your door. Don't let anyone in this room unless it's me or your mother. I believe in that moment he saw the utter despair in my eyes, and before he left the room, as the footsteps reached the room next to mine, he spoke gently, patting me on the head. I'll be okay, he said. Then he was gone. I did as he said, and as soon as he had left the room, I moved my nightstand, my chair, my books, anything I could against the door, sobbing my eyes out, praying that my parents were safe. At first, I heard nothing through our, throughout our house. Then suddenly, violent shouting erupted. A struggle quickly followed with what sounded like furniture being thrown and glass smashed, and then the worst of it, my mother screaming. She cried and yelled and agonized, and finally I could not bear it anymore. I could not leave her alone. Clearing the things away from my door, I opened it and wandered down the darkened hall. A cold, icy air blew through the house. The front door lay open. Decorations swung in the frozen breeze, and outside knelt my mother, alone, terrified and screaming into the night. Losing a parent is hard for a child, and to do so on Christmas Eve, harder still. Yet the torture of that night cuts it deeper was than Voldemort. <laughs> Few can know my true pain. Over the years, I've tried to understand it more clearly understand what my life was like before what and what it is now to little avail i cannot give solid explanations nor can i say that my anger will ever truly diminish i've tried to live as best i can putting the mystery out of my mind each year each year that is until christmas when the memories flood black back into a comfort like a comforting blanket soon torn away by a silent hand from a dark from the dark my own children now grown up have asked me why i become a little distant at this time of year, and to that I've given no real answer. All I can say is I do know two things, both of which haunt me to this day. The first is that no one ever saw or heard from my dad again. My mother remained tight-lipped until she died about what had come into our house that night, what took her husband, and who can blame her. I also know that the last door of the advent calendar, what the last door of the advent calendar contained, and what had frightened my dad so badly. It was a drawing like the others, a happy Christmas scene with one horrid addition. It showed a sleeping boy soundly in his bed on Christmas Eve, a child who looked uncannily like my poor friend Finn, unaware that his life would soon be over, and that he was being watched through the frosted window by his killer, whose face looked remarkably like that of my father's. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I knew that it was going to be the dad that killed yeah. Finn, but mm -hmm. like... But what I don't understand is it a different person every year. No, it was definitely the cops that came and took him. Oh, 
Okay. For sure. Oh, uh, yeah. That's good. I did not actually make that connection. I didn't either. I, I figured whatever it was. Well, in my head, it didn't come to the window. Like, first of all, it started describing the dad doing things that were, like, slightly creepy. Uh-huh. Then it described the, the knocks getting louder and louder, the mom screaming, but it never suggested that the mom called the cops or that there was ever an investigation or anything like that, which means for sure your dad murdered three kids, they found out, and came for him on Christmas night. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, to the author, if we haven't completely offended you, let us know. If I have, <laughs> so... And that wraps it up. That is the end of the year. That's Guys, that was the last episode of 2022. Yep. Indeed it was. The last non-satanic deep dive we're going to be doing for a while. All I have to say it is... It wasn't really a deep dive. Yeah, I know, but you know what I mean. We're sorry. I mean, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so the next time you hear us, you will be hearing us uh, following a brand new theme song. Um and all Still new logos. Starting. Yeah, we got a we got a new logo. We are it's, I mean like first of all like 2022 was our first full year yeah. of doing the show cuz we started mm-hmm. in 2021 late. Mm-hmm. So 2022 was our first full year and mm-hmm. it's we're literally already doing better than 90 plus percent of so- podcasts that that start and like the fact that we've even continued doing it for this long is longer than a lot of new podcasts go. And it's because not to get all Christmassy and cheesy here, but like it's because you guys as our audience, like latched onto us the way, the way that you have. And Tommy's dad didn't kill us very much. Yeah. Well, (laughs) it's it's especially because Tommy's dad didn't kill us. Mm -hmm, Yeah. So we're going with his name is Tommy. Also, Tommy was the first kid. Also coming in 2023, I don't know what we're going to call it yet, but I do know that we're going to be king of the podcasts. So yeah. just keep an eye out. Keep an ear out. Look for us. I don't know what that means. Yeah, just, you should. It's fine. Okay. The people who know, they'll know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we have other things in the works, but that's down the road. We have to focus on this Satanic Panic series. Um, it's just since you guys won't hear from us again until next year, except patrons who hear everything early. Yeah. Um, thank you for this year. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Uh, all of you that follow us on Facebook who have now gotten more interactive with us. It's greatly appreciated. Obviously, our Patreon patrons. Uh, we thank you. But um, I'm just I'm vamping. Vamp. We truly appreciate everything you guys have done for us, and we hope that we can continue to grow so that we can get, keep getting getting to do this while also, yeah. you know, paying our bills and stuff without dealing with the things we are currently dealing with in the workplace, <laughs> shall we say. Um, so we do have a new patron. Um, we got to introduce her. Uh, she said that she's actually been listening to us since episode one. Um, apparently, she just decided to make herself known now. Who it is? <laughs> Her name is Gorgeous. Is it my sister? No. No, no. We thought so, too, yeah. maybe, but no. Okay. Definitely not your sister. Because <laughs> I did get a text a couple of days ago from my sister that was like, I sometimes I'd be stalking you online. And I was like, oh, word. Okay, because she texted me about the podcast when we lost the episodes for a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, my sister listens. And then you tell me that Gorgeous is now part of this. Yeah. Also, like I she just got the pun on Gorgeous. Uh-huh. That's great. Yeah. Oh, Gorgeous yeah. and also Gore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm slow. Phenomenal. Excellent. <laughs> Phenomenal. Fucking 10 out of 10. Would name again. <laughs> um. So real quick, we'll just run down the list. We've also got... Uh, Jenny Lee Davis, accounts Jeannie. clerk, Jeannie Lee Davis, accounts clerk, uh, Angela, period, Pirate King Luffy, Lex Be Better, uh, Ogade Khan, Aaron Rutledge, Amy Rennie, Beth Lawrence, Erica Engel, Carly, Jonathan. You gotta stop giving her special treatment. It's, it started that way. <laughs> she just, it's just Carly. 
It's not. It's not. It's j- very normal. Carly, <laughs> Carly, you respond to us and tell us how you want your name re- pronounced. I don't. Hey, listen, Carly, <laughs> you're lovely. I don't know a whole lot about you. I don't give a fuck what you want. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Uh, Jonathan Brada, Amanda. Fuck, I don't have her new name. Was it Reynolds? <gasps> what are you talking about? Amanda, she got married. Amanda- Daniels? Daniels? Amanda Galilli Daniels? Fuck. <laughs> she gets her name changed. <laughs> we get it wrong again. Amanda Galilli. Uh, we'll get your married name written in here. It's just, oh, I'm looking at the Patreon shit. list right now and it's not there. Uh, Katie Reitzel, Muddy Blair. We've also got uh, John D. His name is removed from the list right now because um, issues with Patreon. Um, yeah. Um, Daniels. I was right. Daniels. Okay, Amanda, Amanda Lily Daniels, Daniels. Uh, Jordan Whitley, Ogadekon, and John D. Um, so we thank you all for everything you do. Everything, you know, well, you know what you do. Um, <laughs> Thanks for charging those crystals for us, boys. Oh, my God. Shut up about that. Um, so, yeah, I think we're just going to wrap it up here. So, you know, you'll fuck cancer. Be good to yourselves. You're more resilient than you think you are. And, and we'll see you next year. We'll see you next year. <laughs> uh, Very- Christmas, I guess. Merry, Merry Chrysler. Merry Christmas, crisis. Yeah, Merry Christmas, uh, Ramadan. Yeah. Christmas yeah. Hansa Kwanzaa. Yeah, Christmas Hansa Kwanzaa. Yeah. Happy whatever your thing is. Yes. Air out your grievances. Or if you're like me, bye. <laughs> bye, guys. Bye. Bye.